Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha. I'm so glad that you joined us today. We're going to have such an interesting conversation and you're going to just love my guest. It's uh, Christina Driscoll. Did I say that right? You did. Oh, good. And she's the host of the She's Brave podcast and she is brave. So she'll have a lot to to talk about today. Christina, could you give a, a little background on yourself so people will know more about you? Sure. I, in my early years, I was a financial advisor. When I was in my early 30s, I met my now late husband, Bill Driscoll, on a hike on Mount Rainier, which is outside of the Seattle area. Our eyes just sort of magically locked. It's one of those things that had never happened to me before, but that's how we met. And we were married within six months. Wow. We both were in the finance financial world. We looked at the world the same way. And he, it was unconventional. And that was really the beginning of an unconventional life for me. And being unconventional requires you to be brave. So that kind of ties into the theme of my podcast too. But my husband was 24 years older than me. He had never been married. He'd never had kids. So it was unconventional from the very beginning. That's really interesting. My my husband, Jacques, the first husband who died for me, uh, was 21 years older than me. And I haven't talked to a whole lot of people that have had that, that big of a gap. And it was perfect for us. Absolutely perfect. Yes. Yes, it was perfect for us as well. And sometimes you would think that people would look at us and maybe say, wow, she's a lot younger than you, or, hmm, he's a lot older than you. But I think that when you really know in your heart and your spirit, when something's really, really right, you really own it. And I think that people sense that. And people, I cannot think of a single time that anyone questioned the age difference. Yeah, I, I know that we had a, a few of my husband's uh, professional people that he worked with. He was a, a college professor that kind of, I think, frowned on our relationship, thinking that it was just a fling for him with a younger woman as opposed to something serious. And they they got used to me after a while, but, and they never said anything to us directly. But I, I heard rumors about they think that you know. <laughs> so it was uh, we just didn't pay attention to it because we knew yeah, that we were doing attention. the right and thing, and it was it yeah. was perfect for us. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe it was the same with me. Maybe I just didn't even notice it. But whatever, it was really comfortable, and it was a really amazing marriage. That's beautiful. So fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want me to continue, so we got married. We really wanted a family and it actually took us four years of infertility before 
before our son was born, who he's now 19. And we were so excited and blessed to have a son. And it's funny how life works out because I look back now and say, I'm so happy that we had those four years, just the two of us. They were really, really magical. And it's really different. It's not necessarily bad or good either way, but you know, a marriage with children versus without is different. So then our son was born and life was really, really good. We were living in a small town in Oregon. But when our son was around five years old, I began to notice that my husband was forgetting things. So for example, we were out on a date night and we were looking at our menus and chatting and he put his menu down and he looked at me and he said, did we just order? And Ooh. that was one of the that was one of the first times that I thought something's seriously wrong. And there was Alzheimer's on one side of his family. So he did get a diagnosis for early onset Alzheimer's when our son was five years old. Mm. And Emily, I'm telling you, it people used to say to me, wow, you're so brave, you're so authentic, you're so resilient. But Emily, I didn't start out that way at all. I really didn't. And I had to learn how to be brave one baby step at a time. And I had to ask for help. I literally walked, marched myself into the emergency room one day because I wasn't eating, I wasn't sleeping, and I needed to take care of my son and my husband. So yeah, I always say, this is an important part of my story, is that I didn't start out brave, but I learned slowly how to be brave. And I asked for all the help. It's There's no shame in getting help when you need help and to get medication or whatever else you need. So this story is really probably a, one of your more unusual stories about grief and happiness, right? Because it's a long goodbye. You know, yeah. it was a 12 year journey, Emily. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's nobody's experiences are the same, but I had in, in my situation, we were married for 22 years and on our fifth anniversary was the first sign of something going wrong. And mm. so that left a, a lot of years of that's a lot. serious health issues to to deal with, and including two open heart surgeries and diabetes diagno diagnosis on top of all of that. It was um, pretty incredible. But he was he was so positive through the whole thing. I I really believe as intelligent as he was, and he was very intelligent. He never considered the fact that he wasn't going to get better. And that, that that made for an interesting journey. Just just a couple hours mm -hmm. before he died, he asked me if he was going to get better. And at that moment, I realized that he'd been going through all he was going through because he thought it was what he had to do to get better. Mm -hmm. So I thought, boy, I could handle things differently if I knew that was what was going on. But I didn't. And mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. it was okay. We, we still, he was able to to do a lot in those years and I think even appreciate what he was doing that much more because of the recognizing kind of the fragility of his health. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. One thing that I really learned is, 
I mean, it was the, the caregiving part was a 12-year journey, and I was raising a child. So I really couldn't afford to and did not want to be in a heavy space of grieving all the time during that process. So I had a lot of therapy, and I learned that when you have anxiety, which was what I was dealing with, it's because you're trying to control the future. You're trying mm-hmm. to figure it out and you're living in the future. And then if you're depressed, you're living in the past. So I very, very slowly and gradually learned more and more how to live in the present and just not think about the past or the future, but just live in the present, enjoy the things that we did. We continued to do some traveling. Our son was at an age where we could start traveling. So even though he had early onset Alzheimer's, we did some some amazing family trips. And yes, he wasn't, he was forgetful, but it was okay. We could, you know, life doesn't stop just because somebody has an illness, a ter- and, and then in this case, a terminal illness. We didn't know anything. There was no way to predict how fast or slowly the decline would be. Um, it's different for everybody. So I learned to live more in the present. And with children, it's different too, because they, I was advised. So some of the best advice I got was just let, to let my son ask the questions when he was ready. Yeah. And so when we first got the diagnosis, I said to our son, dad has a condition called Alzheimer's, which makes him forget things. And that my my son didn't have any questions about that. <laughs> that was fine. He knew that dad forgot things. And by the time my son was six, he would help dad heat up his lunch in the microwave because dad couldn't remember how to push the buttons on the microwave in the right order. So this was all just very normal for our for our son. I would say that for my son, he wasn't so affected, but Around age nine, he that was when he asked the hard question of, I know that dad has Alzheimer's, but how much longer is dad going to live? And I, I said, I, tr- I don't know. And nobody knows. It's just so different for every person. But I said that I, if I had to guess, I think he'll live through high school f- for you. And I think that... And my son just accepted that as well. What I think one of the hardest times for my son, as far as the grief was, and for me as well, was when my husband was up and wandering at night in the home and he was combative with caregivers. So I tried bringing caregivers into my home to help me, but he didn't like them. So he was wandering one night and I heard a clunk mm. and he turned on the, wasn't conscious. And thank God my parents were visiting because I just, I, I'm normally a very calm person in a crisis, but during this thing, I literally was screaming. I started screaming and my parents called 911 and I consulted with the doctors and also with a specialist with who deals with Alzheimer's and she said he needs to go into a care home. Now there's sort of a mystical little tiny part right in here because this particular PhD psychologist who advised me to 
put my husband in a care home and helped me through that process, she had an office in Seattle. Seattle's a city of 3 million people. Unbeknownst to me, years later, I would meet my now husband. He was working at an office right across the street from the therapist's office. He was he was there. My my wow. future husband was right there. So it's just I, I love all these these sort of mystical, magical things that happen to us that we don't really understand why or how. But um, my son had a really hard time. She this the therapist advised that I I really shouldn't tell my son ahead of time about going into the care home because she said, well, think about it. If you go to your son and say, dad's going to a care home, but don't tell dad, then he'll feel like he's betraying his father. Or And then if he tells his father, he feels like he's betraying you. So my own father actually ended up coming down from Canada and he grew up in Europe during World War II and for years and years didn't know whether his father was dead or alive. And he grew up without a father. So when the day came, I dropped my husband off at the care home and he he was doing great. He loves he loved music. He did really well. But then when my son got home from school, my dad and I were waiting and my son just burst into tears. And my father and I wrapped our arms around him and we said, I know this is really, really hard. And my dad said, I grew up without a father and I've had a beautiful life and you're going to be okay too. So. How wonderful that yeah. was that he could be there for him like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's an interesting form of grief because it comes and goes and you get to a point where it's actually hard to visit. It was hard to visit him in the care home because it kept pulling me back into my past. And I felt very guilty because I started visiting him less and less. And thank God we had actually moved up to the Seattle area and a lot of family, his extended family came to visit him. So we, he had a lot of visitors and it was great. But it was really not until recently, I have a friend who's going through the same thing now with her husband. And she was confessing to me how guilty she feels that she visits him about two times a week. And this actually helped heal my grief because I said to her, you have to start moving forward with your life. Um, life is a gift. It's precious. And you have to, you have to be happy and it's okay. If you know he doesn't know you, he doesn't recognize you. The minute you leave the room, he's not going to remember that you visited. And life does have to go forward. And in in that vein, again, a very unconventional thing happened. My husband was the, the oldest of four children, and his siblings came to me after about I don't know five to seven years, and said, in into the twelve year journey, and said, enough is enough. You have grieved. You have grieved and grieved and grieved. It's time for you to start moving forward with your life. You're lonely. You're sad. We want you to find a new partner or find date somebody. Start going out on dates. Have somebody to a companion. And wow, <laughs> who does that? <laughs> My husband's family. Amazing. But I did it. 
And I I, st- I, I did a, a match profile of all things. I literally laid it all out on the line. I said, I'm married. My husband is in a care home. He no longer recognizes me. He wanted me to move forward with my life. He told me that. His family does. I'm not getting divorced. I'm just looking for a companion, someone to spend time with because I was very lonely. Um, I was in a neighborhood with all married couples and it was hard. It was really hard. So that's how I met my now husband, Blake. <laughs> so I I met him through match and he became a part of my family and he became integrated with my late husband, Bill's family too. And it was all together. It was so beautiful. That's wonderful. It's so unconventional though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is. I met my husband, Ron, through match. Not because I intentionally wanted to go on match, but because I had one friend in particular that was like badgering me. (laughs) I finally (laughs) figured, well... I, I need to listen because she has said this so many times. I'll just go on and prove her wrong. <laughs> but fortunately, I met Ron instead, and, and everything was fine after that. Yeah, yeah. Well, in Seattle, they say because it's cold and rainy for nine months of the year, we actually are um, the number one users of online dating in, mm. in the whole U.S. So it's it's part of the culture here. It's very embraced. Nobody cares, and that's that's it's it's a learning curve. But yeah, everybody does it, and it's it's a great way to meet someone because you can you learn how to to figure it out and. You know, I didn't know how that was going to turn out because I thought this is so weird. I'm married and yet I'm looking for a companion. Maybe nobody's going to want to talk to me. And that was never a problem. I I had plenty of interactions and dates and met all kinds of amazing guys. And, but, you know, I, I think part of why it worked out so well, and I asked my husband, Blake, now my new husband, I've been married a year. And I said, why? why did you pick me? Why did you reach out to me? Because he he's actually a very religious man. He's actually very, very Christian. And this is unconventional. Obviously. He said, because you were so honest, you were a hundred percent honest. And I could tell that you were a really good person from that. You just laid it all out. You didn't try to hide anything. It was just great. So I learned how to be happy. Mm-hmm. I learned how to be happy in the middle of my husband declining and dying. And I'm so glad that I did, Emily, because I I could have just chosen not to date, obviously, but I would have been really, really sad for another about four or five years. And instead, I was able to bring more joy into my life, be happy again. Of course, sad sometimes, missing Mm -hmm. my husband. Blake would come with me to the care home, we would we would spend time with Bill together because he didn't know who we were, and he was happy to see us. And one day, and he he didn't have very many words; he couldn't use his words, but he looked at us because we were so we were smiling and happy and holding his hands, and and he he broke away from me and he pointed his finger at me and he smiled. He said, "You," and then he looked at Blake and he said, "And you." good together. Oh. And we all laugh. Yeah. Wow. That really happened. He gave us he, he gave us his blessing. Oh, yeah. that's beautiful. 
Yeah, yeah. That, that's a, a lesson in itself. The, the mm-hmm. I love the thing that Blake said about honesty. Because I, I think mm-hmm. if you don't have that in a relationship, you can't have a relationship. And to be able to recognize mm-hmm. that right up front, then you're on the right track. And and that's a really important thing for our listeners out there <laughs> to remember that it, yeah. stories yeah. are trying to make things different than they are just by what you say isn't helpful. It, being honest is. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I love how and, you were and able I to think, be together. Yeah. Yeah. And I just thought of something really important that I want to share with your listeners also that I took breaks from grieving because, and I'm sure you did too, when it's a long journey like that, you go out to dinner with your girlfriends or you take a little mini vacation with your son or whatever that looks like. Sometimes you take a break from your caregiving life and there's a bit of denial in there and that's okay. And that's healthy to give yourself breaks from grieving too. That's what really helped me as well. Yeah. That it's so important. I I have a a colleague that works in, in grief and she does big webinars that people from all over go to. And she did a program recently that was called take a holiday from grief. And I thought, wow, that's such a good idea. (laughs) I love that. Take a holiday from grief. That's that's so perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important too to Mm -hmm. just have have something where you don't feel like you're going to be judged for smiling, uh, you know, what whatever it is that you can just take care of yourself. Yeah. And another thing that I really want to discuss more in depth is my husband's death, because I think that so many of us, myself included, I was afraid of that. Um, What was that going to look like? Was that going to be hard? Was that going to be difficult? And it's, it scared me. How was I going to feel after his physical body was gone? And it all happened really, really quickly. So it was in February Two and a half years ago, we were smack dab in the middle of COVID. Um, I wasn't able to visit him very much at all because of COVID. He was in a, he had been moved to a really small a home, actually. It was a beautiful home and a beautiful property and wonderful people who were so loving. And I still could visit him sometimes. But I got the call one late one night and they said to me, um, he aspirated some food because he had forgotten how to swallow Mm. and he had a do not resuscitate order. It was 10 at night and they said, uh, we can keep him here or we can send him to the hospital. Um, I said, what do you recommend? And they said, I think uh, you should meet, meet him there at the hospital because they can provide him morphine and he can be very, very comfortable. So Blake drove me. My now husband drove me to the hospital and I was the only person allowed in. Um, They wouldn't let Blake in. It was just one person. So my husband was in the emergency room and he was already completely unconscious. 
and they did the the deep nasal swab way, way, way up the nose. And I remember asking the nurse, is he conscious at all? And she said, no, because even people that are unconscious usually flinch when they have the COVID nasal test and he's not, he's not flinching. So, you know, he was, his body, his heart was still beating, but he wasn't really there. And it's interesting in our society how a lot of us have trouble letting go with death, right? I had two different doctors pull me aside within that first hour and say, he has a do not resuscitate order, so we are not going to give him antibiotics. He has 24 to 48 hours to live. And would you like to be in a private room, you know, in the hospital on, on a different floor where it's quiet? And I said, yes, please. And I think they thought that I was going to fight them on that, you know, but I didn't. Um, I was at peace with it. I knew it was okay. So I I went up and my husband was, my husband's breathing was still strong and steady. And I thought, it's 2 a.m. This could be a 48-hour marathon of me alone in the hospital. And that being said, people aren't meant to die alone and or the caregiver like me, it's not, it's not meant for me to do this alone. And, and it was unfortunate with, with COVID that, that it had to be this way because it was hard. It's hard to be there for somebody who's dying and there's nobody else in the room with you to help you or comfort you. And cause you need, you need that support too. So I called Blake and I said, I wanted to come home for just a few hours and sleep because there was nowhere for me to sleep in this room. And then I would come back because I had been told it was going to be a couple of days. So he, I came home, I slept, I, I woke up and I got the phone call that he had died. Mm. So, and at that moment, I was just filled with this tremendous grief. So I got out of bed, fell on my knees and literally prayed. And I said, God, Bill, I know you're up there. I need a sign. I need a sign, please. Bill, I want to know you're okay. Where I know you're somewhere. Where are you? Please send me a sign. And all of a sudden, a vision of it of a bald eagle came into my head. Kind of weird, kind of random, whatever. So I had to go immediately to the hospital because paperwork has to be done and all of that. So Blake drove me to the hospital. We got in the car. I was, I didn't tell Blake. I didn't tell anybody about this vision. I've never had anything happen like this in my life before or since. And I was just looking at my phone and we were crossing down through a valley on the way to the hospital. And all of a sudden Blake says, Hey, look, there's an eagle up in that tree over there. And then Mm -hmm. I just burst into tears And I went, there it is. And I said, Blake, you're not even going to believe this, but this is what happened to me. And I know that. And what's interesting, Emily, is that literally a month ago, I, I, I figured another piece of the puzzle. When we lost Bill's mom, when she died, she actually died right around the time that I got pregnant with our son and her husband had already died and we were in a hearse with her, her body 
going from the funeral home to the the cemetery. And it was in February. They literally died. Bill and his mom died days within each other. Mm-hmm. It was a clear February day. And two bald eagles followed us in the hearst. It was like his parents. So they were both in heaven, obviously, or in wow. another dimension. Whatever you want to believe. They followed us. But I didn't think of that until a month ago, Emily. This has been like two and a half years. I'm like, that's why it was an eagle. It all ties into that. So it, it's it's an eagle. So interestingly enough, I, and then my son... Actually, at that time, which is another story, but um, which is fine. But anyway, I had to call my son and he said to me, Mom, I knew dad was going to die soon. And I said, how? Why? He's been coming in my dreams for the last month, like Mm. every night for the last month. And he's whole and he's normal and he's back to when I was little. And it's just this he said, I just, I just knew. And so my son really had a a lot of peace around it. And I got my peace too with, you know, with the, with the vision and, and the sign. And my husband continued to my, my, after my husband passed, he was in my dreams most, most nights and he was himself and he was normal and we would just hang out. And this went on for an entire year. Wow. Until, until I married my now husband, Blake, and then it stopped. Yeah. But I feel like I can say with true conviction that you can grieve and you can be happy. You can, it's possible. And like what we said before we even hit record, you said you were the happiest now that you've ever been. I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life too. And I think some of that could just be life that we were older. We know that life is precious and grab it, you know, just enjoy every minute of it. And it's not to say that those moments don't, don't come up. And if you need help with grief, ask, ask the universe, ask God, ask whatever you believe in, ask or ask a human for help. There's a lot of help. Read your handbook that you've got about grief and happiness because there's, there's a way to get through it all and still be happy. And not to say that the grief doesn't occasionally happen. A week after I got married last summer, I was up in Canada where I grew up and I had family from Sweden visiting. My husband was was actually back to work and I was taking all my Swedish cousins to all these places all over Vancouver where I grew up. It's also where I married my husband, Bill. So it began triggering all these memories of my marriage to Bill and all the places and the things that we did. And it triggered me. So one one night I began to cry and because everybody was talking about Bill and I just began to cry. And it was a week after I married Blake. And it's okay. It's okay. You know, that grief will still be there sometimes. And I had a good cry and then I felt better. And I feel really deeply grateful. I have this amazing, amazing life and an amazing husband. And and I've had two amazing marriages and you did too. Mm -hmm. We're very, very blessed, you know? And I think um, I love your concept of grief doesn't have to be 100% all-consuming. There's happiness in there too. Yes, that's right. 
Well, it's been marvelous hearing your story and and what you had to share. I I love it when the grief and happiness concept is validated by an experience like yours. And I think it gives hope to people out there that think, am I ever going to feel bitter again? Will will I ever be happy again? Yes, you will. Yes, you can. Just be open. And And your point about living in the moment is really what saved me. Because in, in each moment, I was I was okay. Everything was okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. it's it's that living in the past that trips you up. So when when you can just stay in the moment, you can find that happiness, and it's so worth it. Mm-hmm. Wow! Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being my guest today. This was just a wonderful conversation, and I know that people are going to get a lot out of this. I'm so happy you were able to join me. Thank you so much, Emily, for having me on your show. Oh, I'm, I'm grateful. And if you'd like to listen to the She's Brave podcast, the links, all of links for Christina are going to be in the show notes. And please do check that out. And please do come back and see me again next week. And thank you so much for being here and listening to our Grief and Happiness podcast. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode 